0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating, with your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us, and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Tosh Farrell onto the Golders podcast. Tosh was the technical coordinator at Everton Football Club, working with the likes of Wayne Rooney, Ross Barkley, and many more top-level professional athletes. Tosh also spent time in the United States, which he also touches on in this interview. He provides lots of great insights into developing young players, and there'll also be a few laughs along the way. To get more information on Tosh you can go to his website at ToshFarrellSoccer.com. Enjoy the interview.
1: We've got on today's podcast a real good friend of mine. Tosh, welcome uh, and thank you for your time.
2: You're, you're more than welcome, Keith. For you know, it's we, good to
1: see you. We go back uh, quite a few years, and you know we'll be unleashing some of your verbal vitamins across you know many years. But before we dive into the conversation... Just share with us a brief summary of your background in playing and coaching, mate.
2: From a playing perspective, I mean, I was I didn't do too bad. I played at the sort of top amateur uh, leagues that were going around in the day. And when you think of, of how, how the grassroots football was back, back in the day, you know, the Sunday league had eight divisions of, of 12 teams. Your Saturday would have numerous division, numerous leagues with numerous divisions. So there's an awful lot of, the players playing and you're playing against some good players and I was quite fortunate to play at the top amateur on the amateur side of it. I always like to think you could have been a pro player but when you see a pro player you realise just how short you, you you were, you know. So um, although I had aspirations of playing at a higher level, it wasn't until I got in, uh, involved in in a coaching course and it was, you know, yourself was your uh, that Mentioned one or two things to me while I was doing practice, but I actually applied it in the league, in the in the games that I was playing because I wasn't um, wasn't fully retired, but I was moving into, you know, thinking about hanging the boots up. And I was, I think, I was thirty two at the time, and the little bit of information you, you gave me, within inside a month, I was playing at a higher level. Could you believe this is no BS? I was playing at a higher level. I went to into the moved into the northwest counties with Barmby, and then month two months later, I found myself playing at Marine, uh, in the in the Langs League, and that in the Lancs League then was Man United, Everton, Rex. Uh, and I'm playing against all them. I'm playing at the Cliff. I'm playing at the at the Cliff within six weeks, and all the information was check the shoulder, one word, and. That's I suppose it when you move when I moved into coaching, it's the one the one line is it's the it's not the reins it's not the sessions it's words that affect and have an impact and you know those words have stuck with me. I do it a lot and I suddenly found myself not asking for the ball because every time I asked you know we second touch was a tackle you know so if it didn't if it didn't ask for it it was. You know, damage limitation to me, asking it at the right time. By checking my shoulders, I was getting the ball. And it made me look a good player. It made me look a a little bit better than what I was. So then affected me into thinking, have I underestimated just how far, not to pro level, I'm not talking pro level, but have I underestimated just how far I could have achieved if if I had access to this sort of information at a younger age, and would I have a longer career, longer playing career out there at a senior non-league level? Would would And their little bits have got me into coaching, just wanting to get more information, more knowledge. And then I, I've sort of like been that with the players as I've come through, Keith, to give them the information, give them the information, help them to be as good as they can. And I was quite fortunate with the, with the coaching Um I remember going for my full badge in 97, and in those days, you know, it was getting like a, a letter from the Pope, wasn't it? And I mean, the likes of Gibbo, um, Martin Hunter, and, and these uh, coaches, you have to go to a quarterly in service. You couldn't get a game at the beginning, because you wasn't on the circuit. They wouldn't let you play, and you'd be standing, I'm better than him, I'm better than him, and they wouldn't let you play, David. So you get you get your chance, you go on and, God, if they'd leather you. They'd leather you for being yards out of position, a yard here, couldn't you have done this and couldn't you have done that. And then gradually, after maybe four or five of these sessions, these weekend sessions, coaches got to know you and then they started really fine-tuning you and preparing you for what was the full badge at show. Now, unfortunately, he never prepared me good enough because I failed. <laughs> you know that was, you know, and you, would you would you believe it was it was um, Dick Dick big God love him, who um, who failed me, and I thought it is okay. You know, well, we all do, don't we? I suppose we all think we we is okay. And uh, I'm on the, I'm in there and we're getting called in, and a number of people said I'd passed. You know, they, they, you've got nothing to worry about, and I was thrill going in there. Dick sits down, shakes hands and in his manner. How do you think you've done? I think I did brilliant, to be honest with you. <laughs> did you? Right. Well, for me, you're 99.9% there. And unfortunately, it's that 0.1% that's going to prevent me from passing you. Ah, oh, keep eye at the roof. David, I leathered him. And Dick. Just sat there and I'm ranting, I'm having a right go. What do you know? I said <laughs> and I just carried on and leather them and leather them. And Dick has just sat there. Have you finished? Have I finished? No, I haven't finished. And I went from went from again. And he's sat there. And I just ran out of steam. I didn't run out of words. I just ran out of breath because it's all come out at once. You know, are you finished, and just slid his card in front of me. He said, "Call me back if you ever need any help." He said, "You will pass next year." I've never felt so embarrassed in my life, and I just didn't know what to say. So I went up, got went out, kicked the cat a few times on the way on, on the way in, and then I phoned him. Within about two days, it's as if the conversation had never taken place. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I can do for you. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that eventually I, I passed. And even, even when I passed, I was so nervous um, because it wasn't the fact that I wanted to pass, it wasn't embarrassment or anything that you failed. I just put it felt I'd earned I'd, I'd it. I'd earned it. And at the time, Keith, I think Dick was saying the English. FA like full of badge, whatever it was called. He said, there's only 500 people in the world with this. Yeah. He said, we're well, not just giving them out, you know? And I, I it made me realize i probably work a little bit harder, yeah, like I say, to get it. Once I got that full badge, I was I was lucky enough to be approached by, I got a couple of phone calls uh, with a couple of offers. One was to um, Liverpool, was a fancy goal to Liverpool, and one was to Everton. And I ended up going at Everton, and you know, but you know, luckily, I, I suppose I don't know what it turned out at Liverpool. I'm sure it would have been good, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that for one minute. But the at Everton, I seemed to find myself. I was given license to express myself as a coach and try things, and my coaching journey, I suppose, uh, life evolved from there.
1: Tosh. When we first met, which is back in 1994, where you, you were you were on a, a course uh, over at Iron Marsh, it's, a, it's classed to level two now, isn't it? It's called the preliminary coaching award back then. And I, I remember going to watching a colleague, not too far from where I live. And it was a night course and you were there, know you from where you lived to where the course was being held. You might not remember this. You might remember it. I'm not sure, but you 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 recognise you recognise me, and you come bounding over, you know, in that inevitable style, Keith. And I, I, you know, it was. A, I think it was. Well, it was a blank. And I'm trying to collect. Who are you? And you say you don't remember me. And I, uh. I did me a prelim with you over at am Marsh and then the light switched on. The thing that, the point that I'm raising here is, you know, you fail your, your full badge. They don't call it failing now. It's it's a journey, isn't it? But the, you, don't pass, you don't fail, you, but you can pass. It's down to interpretation. But the important point for those listening is you didn't give in. I was I failed in eighty four in eighty four and passing eighty five by the same gentleman and by Dick failing you. I felt like I'd passed. Even though I knew I'd failed, they just made
2: you feel special. But well, can I just this... that I mean did you get deemed incompetent? Because they were the <laughs> terminology that was getting used. Have you ever been de- you are incompetent. That's what it's got in the blue. i still got the... Incompetent. Yeah. we changed it since. But I yeah. tell you what, it doesn't have here yet. Right between the legs, that one. Isn't
1: it? I've got to tell you, you must have been, you must have gone to a clever school because I didn't even know what it meant, that. <laughs> I, <didn't> even... <laughs> I actually thought that Not I'd done passed. all right. <laughs> I thought i passed. You went to a clever school. You are giving it away. You. Yeah. But listen, Just we met and you had this characteristic and trait that stood out and, you know, that then took us on a journey and I got you involved with a a centre that I was directing at the time for the FA. And then, you know, my when I departed, you took over that and did a super job. And then, you know, you connected with Everton, you got the options to go to Everton or Liverpool and with you being a blue You know, you you resonate to it and fantastic. But share with us some of the players that you've worked with. Share with that and that have since gone on to play at the highest levels of the game. That's in the the Premier League and and equally represented the country.
2: Well, I think, you know, Keith, I mean, just fortunate, aren't you? Being in the, the right place at the right time and academies were just... Coming into um, existence, then I think we are just changing all from center reference to, to to academies. So a lot of these, a lot of the players that I, I we, we came in touch uh, in contact with, were were there at 14, 14, 15. I mean, Joey. I mean, the the year I started, Joey Barton, uh, Phil Jagielka, uh, Chris Schuka, I mean, they were all at, at Everton, and. For, for whatever reason, they, they all got released out on the 15 16th group. It's so new to me that I'm watching. I'm, I'm I'm watching what what's going on. And when I see players that I think, they're all getting released. How good is this standard? Uh, and how good has the coaching got to be to get them to the uh, the, the standards required to play, to play for everyone's first team? So I, I observed the first couple of, uh, sessions. He, don't, he didn't throw me straight in the. Well, he did. You know, he he gave me a couple of observation uh, lessons. Whatever you want, whatever whatever word you want to want, want want to use. And the first group I got was the under four under four teams. And in that group, uh, the first group was Steve Schumacher. Steve, Steve Schumacher is uh, a Barry. I think he's down at Plymouth now with uh, Ryan Lowe. And Shuey was in there, Stephen Beck was, was was in that group. And I sort of demanded the under-14s went in. I thought I was a bit of a Billy Big time, if I'm honest. Yeah, I wanna do 11 v 11, I wanna do 11 v 11. And I always remember Craig Madden, because remember Craig used to come to the center and he was uh, at uh, St. Helens, at Queen's Park in St. Helens. Craig had Stockport and he out-coached me like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, Stockwell ball players weren't very good, or, or were classed in the same caliber as the Everton players. Like, like, you know, that not very good's not the right not the right phrase to use. But I got a coach, and I had all the best players. And Colin Harvey was watching. And uh, Monday morning, I got a call to get down to, to Belfield. Neil was sitting in the office, and Mick Doc, Mick McDowerty, who's the head of recruitment. It you know, didn't look too good in front of Colin that yesterday. Uh, which the game getting beat off Stockport. We've got all the best players and it doesn't look good for the academy. Uh, you can't have the under 14s. you have got to uh, have to go to the under 11s. Well, it's big emotion, isn't it? You're gone from the, the 11v11, the so called man's game, into the 11v11s. So I moved down to the 11v11s and in that group, Mark Hughes, who's at Ackington. I think Stanley, great lad uh, Mark Mark's in, in that group. A couple of them pl- went on to play senior non-league. But I've spent a year with them and I think I'm doing well, you know, and developing. So let's call in the office again. At the end of the year, we want you to take the under-9s. I, well, <laughs> I think I'm supposed to be going up in a career. I'm this one, I'm getting closer to the bottom. Uh, well, what, under nines? So I've got the ump with this, do the under nines. And he said, but you know, to supplement the coaching, we'll let you do the under eights as well. Right, <laughs> just not happy, you know, thinking I was on a down slide. But this is where that, the way me little rant on Dick was before. It was players who have been around coaching, and coaches I should say, it's coaches, experienced coaches who've been around coaches you start picking it out and earmarking it for what the role they think you're best suited to unknowns to me. Or I, I, I'm assuming that's what was happening. So I just done the under-nines and in the under-nines that, uh, that year, who came into that? Callum McManaman, Jack Rodswell, uh, John Nolan, Adam Forshaw. I'm telling you, best group where under-nines you're thinking, my God, these are players. And they were you know they we were just full of enthusiasm so i'm working away with the under nines and then the following year it was a question of well you can do the under tens and the under nines but we still want you to do the under eights and gradually as, as the years evolved we kept they left me with the with the groups and, and probably the most formative years when the like sponges and I overseen the under-12s, the under-11s, the under-10s, nines, eights, and we evolved into the sevens. By that time, I'd been made full time, keep because I, originally I started in the community programme, which, I've got to say, taught me more about coaching. All abilities, any of them, and through all the problems that, uh, with respect, that on a flip chart, if you're at an FA course, you could put it on a what would you do if so-and-so turned up? What would you do if 13 able-bodied players up, turned up and one, What I've done it all. I've done it all. I've had a group, uh, you know, where there's been 12 able-bodies and two lads in, in a wheelchair turned up. Uh, yeah, un- unbelievable. You, you know, and how do you know, you're doing dribbling, how do you involve them? All those uh, scenarios that have been through. And you stick with your lessons, aren't you? You stick with you. So, when I was doing the, uh, the 12s to 7s, whatever it was, you know, Ross Barkley was in, was, was in there, Ryan Ledson, Joe Williams, I mean, Tyus Brown, and I mean, he did the, the names just without realizing it. You don't see them evolving into, into these players. Then I got the opportunity to work with Wayne, uh, Wayne Rooney, and I always, always remember Keith the day before we're taking Wayne, I'm getting asked, because young John was in our group, John green was one of the uh, the young players, I speak to John regularly, he's at Barrow now, and fingers crossed to get the uh, the lead place there, because John, John's a smashing lads. but what it's worth, I actually thought John was a better player than than Wayne, but Wayne has a little bit more pace and power than, than, than John, but, you know, John, Terrifically technical player for me. I, you know, I love John. And then when um, I'm getting told the day before, you've got Wayne tomorrow. It's up Ray. right, right, Ray? Oh, he said, yeah. He said, come up and see me before the session starts tomorrow. So goes goes up there the day before the session. I've got all my crib notes out. You know what's happening. And Ray says, just a bit of advice. What's that, Ray? If you've got Wayne tonight, lose him and we lose you. I'm going to a session with with this gun, you know, with revolver against me. Thinking, my God! And Wayne was terrific. He was, I mean, Anthony Gerard was in that was was in that that group with him. Um, Stevie Gerard's cousin, and Wayne, wouldn't know he was he was there until he started playing. My God! What what a what a talent! What a talent! Um. He was the first player Wayne. When they talk about school programs, coming out of um, getting the kids out of school, Everton, we, you know, we we got we took Wayne out to Dillersell as under twelve, I think, under thirteen for some additional practice. And if I'm honest, I don't think we knew what to do with him once we got him, once we took him out. So Wayne turns up about three o'clock, needs at Dillersell. I said, Tosh, go and do all and work with Wayne." So I had him a game of- by a challenge. <laughs> Only one win a there, wasn't he? 5-4, I beat him. 5-4. But he was a terrific lad. I and mean, then you got, with Wayne, off the field, you know, he's still reserved. He's still shyish, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say. Um, he's probably come out of that shell now, but on the field, it was a Jacqueline Hyde. The play you got off wasn't the play you got on, and Wayne was a talent. Jack Rodswell had the attributes to be the best centre-back, footballing centre-back this country produced. We let him down. Ross Barkley, we got by, by chance. We, we had an under-13s group. Uh, and they were quite talented, but they were really small. David Keith, you're a small group. And we had a development day trial. We we were all up there watching them. We put some of the academy players out there to get a level, feel of people's level. And Ross was just playing against us. And Ross was the biggest player on the park, could hold his own. I wouldn't say he looked outstanding. I wouldn't say he was getting signed, getting signed. And the reason that makes me say that is four of us had a chat at the end of the game, and it was a... Who's got the casting? Martin Walden at the casting vote. I think he was 2-4, 2-1. Oh, let's take him. What a talent! What a talent! And that, and, you know, he he was known, you know, at Liverpool. He was known at Everton, but for some reason, he was a really late, late developer if, because I was always eleven when Ross got there, and it didn't take him long once we were in the the trainer hall Belfield. you've been there, David, you've been there, kid in the, in the hall. He, he flourished, he flourished and rapidly went high through the group. I actually remember, a good few years ago
0: now, Everton played against Forrest at Goodison Park in the FA Youth Cup, and Wayne Rooney was playing, I think he was only 15 at the time, and 15 or 16, and he absolutely tore Forrest apart, and he was, he was a boy. Just come in and uh, it, it was unbelievable what he was doing at that age. Now, you've mentioned some names in that, Tosh. There's some serious players you've got. You could argue one of the best, if not the best player the country's ever produced. And some other players that have played international level, Premier League, top players. In those players, what is
2: it that attracted your attention to them? What
0: attributes did they have?
2: It's great mentioning, you know, just before I answer that question, it's great mentioning the, the ones who made it. But there's, there's hundreds there that, that haven't. And the, the bit for me is um, the programmes or whatever you're doing or could have done, could we have helped them a little bit more? And I'll put a bit, bit more detail on that later. But the play, what do they see in them? I've seen enthusiasm. I've seen... Um, them coming to the hall at 20 to five, rather than five o'clock, because the session didn't start till five, or if it's starting at six, get near at 20 to six. I've seen them be want to, to play, and, and I also seen, and quickly got into, and this is where the community background helped me, was I always started the session for them. You know, I know at what, what points I wanted to, to get through the, through the coaching, but I always knew, as a young player, they all want to be this the icon. So if it would it would be the icons at the time, there Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, your Messi's. They all want to be that type of player. They don't want to come in and be a John Terry. So they had to like make sure, and that's all to John Terry by by the way. But they didn't see him as the as the as being sexy, so so to speak. So the. They came in with an enthusiasm. Maintaining that enthusiasm was was something that I t- that I tried to do in the team because we had a smashing team around us. You know, Eddie Murray, uh, Paul Harris, Robbie Anderson. We had a smashing little team of of coaches who all believed and and felt the same way about about coaching. So they, uh, when the players come in, I didn't look at heights. I looked at the player first, I, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure I looked at speed because he, you know, the. I, I think at, at a young age it can be deceiving. I looked at enthusiasm and I looked at were people, or those young players, comfortable expressing themselves on the ball, uh, fearless so to speak. And I didn't want to take that fear out of them. I may have done, I mean, un- unknowingly, but I didn't want to. So, when you're working with players, when you're coaching,
0: where is most of your time spent? Is it spent working, improving technical efficiency? Is it spent developing a player that understands the roles within a team? Where, where do you spend the
2: most of your time, so Dave? Yeah, Key, my my world is technical development. Yeah, uh, you, you know, don't. Don't ask me to set up a 3-5-2. Don't ask me to set up a 4-4-2. Ask me to put 11 players on the field. And I can do that. I can put 11 players on the field. And, you know, the biggest compliment I've had, you know, to the department I was heading, not to me personally, biggest compliment I ever had was Alan Irvin. We were at Keele. We used to have the big come-togethers at Keele years ago. Mm. Alan Irvin was at Newcastle at the time, and he said, I can tell an Everton player. He said he'd do all the right things at these young ages and uh, checking the shoulders and and doing all that stuff. That was massive. That was one of the biggest compliments that, you know, I've got it all written down there when he said it and where he said it. And it it stuck with me. And when you've got somebody like like Alan Avery talking, saying uh, he recognizes the stamp of a player. I just thought, how good's that? I want a pat on the back there for the uh, for, for, for the for the program. So I, I, technically, I have this big thing on how players receive it. You know how they receive it. I have a big thing on the size of the touch in between what they do next. How much thinking time they're going to going to give themselves? You know, I I have this doing the moves. You know, they don't do, you know, for me, Callum, if use Callum McManaman as an example, what a dribbler. I've still got the fastest feet I've ever, ever worked with. His feet and moved with the speed he can do them, and he can turn you inside out. And when when I've seen him play that, you know, what I call the McManaman final, when he's put cliche, I mean, cliche, cliche he's gone back with the shirt on back to front, he doesn't know what he's coming and going. I, 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 I thought that was Callum's have arrived and I just think about, uh, you know, Callum's had a good career but he could have had a great career because those game changers uh, are in limited supply these days. Everybody wants to be the Messi, the Ronaldo, the game changers, but they're in limited supply and I really did feel with the likes of Callum in particular, we had somebody who, when he when you've got the ball, you, you, your backside gets towards the edge of the seat. You're ready to stand up thinking they're going to do something that nobody else is seen. And it, players like him encourage me to keep doing it, you know, to mm-hmm. get players who attributes might be Jack of Outstanding defender. But i tell you what, both right and left foot, he can play. He can't can he can't head it. And that's where, as a coaching programme, we've let him down. Uh, Everton, I'm part of that coaching programme, so I think you're at all the hands, uh, hands up there. How somebody who's six foot four isn't as dominant in the air as we as should be, given all his attributes. But he's been a, he was a victim, I would say, Jack, of being too many good players and you know, when you think that he's got a bit of guile, can we make him a centre centre midfield? Jack will tell you to this day, his best position he feels would be centre-back. But nobody's going to give him a goal now. Nobody's going to give him a chance. So as his look for the game, uh, as his attitude to the game being affected by coaches, because, you know, there's there's good positives, and that's where I was talking about the names before. Where, you know, it's a power, oh, yeah, that's positive, positive. We'll talk about the ones that we could have done more for, you know, and that's coaching as well. And I feel partly that I could have got more out of players, uh, to help them a bit more if if circumstances would have allowed. But academy football and top football, as you both know, it's they're It's about the now. It's about the now. And when you've got recruitments on a worldwide, wild, worldwide scale, it's your local player who's going to be drop-based. You know, they're the easy ones. They're the easy ones to get rid of. And it's, you know, it's tough.
0: Well, I, yeah. uh, with Cal, so I played with Cal for two years. I was with Cal at Wigan. I remember watching that FA Cup final. And and I was with a, a good friend of mine who, he's now captain, I was captain of the US national team. And we were, we sat on the couch together and I said, he used to do that every day. Every day, he could turn on. He could turn on a sixpence. I mean, it was, it was a regular. So for me to see that, it was normal. Yeah. And I think, like you, you mentioned Tosh, that's the one where everyone took ten, took, took note of him and went, "Wow, this kid can play. He's a player." But for those that have spent time around him, I think they knew how good he actually was. Yeah.
2: And that's where where size doesn't come into because Cal Cal left um, Everton as a U sixteen, and I don't think he was five foot three at that time. I mean, he was like he was he was a stick, uh, Calum, and you know, uh, getting up to Wigan was was brilliant was brilliant from was brilliant from the well, that would give give you time. Not that Everton didn't, but the, the way Cal was in was Everton, while they mightn't be in the richest club at the time. You could still bring in club players from other other countries if they if they needed. So just wasn't given the time. It just wasn't given the time and there's a number of players like that, isn't he? Um we can we can talk about at every club. But it just just disappointing because you know I know we signed Aaron Lennon. Not a patch on Cal. Cal just needs an arm round and love him and just saying, Go and do what you do, do well. And you know be persevering, persevering. but but maybe Cal, in hindsight, David, if um, when you look at the moves and, and and the type of manager Roberto Martinez was was brilliant for him, it wanted them to ex- express different type of manager. Told, Tony pulis you, you know, you, you don't you don't see Tony Pulis. playing um, that type of football, so you would ask yourself why how of West Brom was the best move for him, but you know if, it is what it is and you, and you move on.
1: Do You know, when you, you're talking about programs, Tosh, players and being, we're talking about being bespoke here. We're talking about having that intuition and being able to recognize, you know, your own brand as a coach. I think it's important because not many actually know what their own brand is. They, they follow certain things or they're told to do certain things. I'm not sure whether they truly believe in it. You know, they call them philosophies, don't they? I'm not a lover of the term, because I'm not. we don't know what it is and nobody can specifically define what it is. I, I prefer to call it more of a method. They're, they're talking about methods or if you like coaching programs, do you actually coach, have you come away from, from working with programs? So the likes of Cal and you know, you talked you spoke about several players that are a world class, really, really, really outstanding players. Do you tend to follow the program, or do you actually work to what the players need?
2: I went back from the game because it's the game to me, it's the game's needs. And the game's needs, 10, 15 years ago when I, when, I, when, I, when I started, are different to the game's needs now. Um, in terms of, it's got quicker. It's got quicker. Well, straight away, you know, when I speak to co- coaches, they think? Well, let's get the faster player. You, you know. Well, I always thought speed of thought equals speed of play, and I I work back on what does the game the game need. The game needs you to be able to think quickly. Well, do practices that you have that sort of. Um, emphasis that doesn't necessarily mean um, play one touch and two touch because me and David can play one two touch here at the back and just pass it backwards and forwards twenty minutes. So devising programs like that that got players thinking does every player have to be able to dribble and the answer to me is yes. Because now you've got the high press you've got a high press and I I you know I believe the high press is a system Capitalized on lack of technical ability. So if I'm a poor right back and you press me, I give the ball away, get in. But Man City, if we use them, and Liverpool have got technically competent players all over the park. Go and press them, you can step past you. Now it's 10v9, 11v10, whatever the numbers are. So I think like that. So do every player have to dribble? Yeah. Should every player um, have a an interception gauge. And, and when I say that is, you know, first form of defence, uh, can you intercept the ball? Well, yeah, providing I'm close enough, providing I'm aware that I can recover that ground in 0.2 of a second. Because if I'm if I'm um, Usain Bolt, I can drop it a yard or two deeper, encourage the pass and get it. But if you touch five, I've got to be in line with the pass. So that pass isn't going to come, so it's going to turn out. So people being aware of might as a person, am a quick, am I average, am a slow? What is slow back in today's in today's game? I mean, you know, so getting getting them and I have this like little model of in my mind of what do we have to do. Every player has to be able to receive it every player has to be aware. And uh, I'm thinking that's what your dad was showing me in 19, well, 1864, wasn't it, Keith? What, how long ago was it? 1994, But I think, I think the game hasn't changed. The game has not changed, it's got quicker, but the game hasn't changed. And now the pressure I feel for um, coaches and clubs, is is you can still pick the same type of player, but what do you want from them? What do you want that? What's that player got to be able to do to play at the highest level? And that's where I have this little bit of a, uh, you know, bit of beef, if that's what you want to call it. Is I don't think uh, enough coaches know how to coach the individual to get them up to the spec that. You then pass them on to a more experienced coach, the coach of in my world, it was um passing them on to David, Dave, David, Moyes. And yet, below that, you had uh, coaches who were whether the under 14s or whether the under 18s coach, they thought they were trying to finish the job off at under 14, 11 the eleven now, so he's got to be perfect. No, he's got to be got to be at this level. And then when he gets to under 16, he's got to be at that level, under 18, that level. And then passing him to David Moyes or the manager, whoever it is, to round them off. But you know what the people can't cope with? That David Moyes gets all the glory. He's the one who's given all these 16-year-olds his debuts. He, what a manager David Moyes People can't live with that. That's the job. Get used to it. But some, with, with, Coaches, coaches judge an 11 v 11 game, if, you know, as a reflection of themselves, they lose the game, the bad coaches, God, We Ross Ross was in this Ross was in the game almost, um, yeah. Ross Barkley played in a game at Liverpool. And Paul Lieber was Paul Lever was there. We the week before, in an eight v eight game, we got smashed 16. 18. God knows, it was way close to 20 something. I'm not kidding you. The following week was the first week of 11 v 11. Tosh, you take them, right? And what was it for? It was damage limitation. Damage limitation. I just left them off the leash. I said, just go do it. Just dribble. 11 v 11. We're walking down, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but this is the gospel honest truth. What went on as we walked down from the academy, Liverpool's academy, down to the training field, Liverpool's players were having bets how many of we you were going to score against us. I still stood against, against, next door to Stewie Gellin, And, uh, you know, uh, what's going to happen today, Stewie? Oh, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know. But this is a really good group. I seen all kinds to Stewie. I got it in his head, you know, as a coach. I was a coach now, 11-11, 20. I said, 20, I said, it's gonna be a cricket score today. I said, you must cap 20. I said, we'll only play three thirds or something. I remember, to, and Stewie was, in, I could see him getting nervous because I was putting <laughs> the expectation on him. Honestly, this is the gospel on the street. Steve Harryway was over the, the other side of the field watching. We've romped the game two one. It was a romp. They never, never got near, never got near us. Outplayed them. And coming back, everybody saying well done, Tosh. Wasn't well done, Tosh. Well done, players. They needed the the license to go and do what they want. And for some reason, whenever we play Liverpool or Liverpool play Everton, whatever it is, these kids are sitting next to each other at the school desk. I could be at Liverpool. You could be. At Everton, our academies, and we're playing against each other. They're, they keep on score, even though you're not supposed to keep score. They saying who's doing well, etc., etc. The parents are all on the. You've got Liverpool, their parents at Everton. You've got Everton parents at, at Liverpool. Their kids are, are on the other side of the road, and it, it, it's thing to them. It's um, prestigious for them that they managed to get one over on the on, on their academy. And the kids are getting all that leather down from that coming from the peers down to them. And I'm thinking, somebody's gotta take the lid off this. And before we went out, we were singing, well, what was on the telly? Oh, uh, it's Chico time. Remember that? It's Chico time, stars in the rise or something. I don't know what it was. I had all the kids doing, what time is it? This was and in the dressing room, we were going, it's Chico time. And then when we were playing, and we were going onto the field, what time's it like? It's Chico time in the middle of the academy. Everybody's looking at these. I thought you were looking at 11 fools all going, it's Chico time. I mean, talk about psychology, or motivation. It's just where I go back to that community programme and trying things and not being scared to try it in front of the Steve Highways, in front of the Paul Levers. This is what they need. I'm going to give them it and I don't care what anybody thinks. And then they come off they keep, that was them, I think for the next couple of years. I mean, we was, was, just started to think who was in there with, with, with Ross. Oh, Ben Hennigan was in that, Ben Hennigan's a black girl now. Uh, Ryan Hedges might be, yeah, Ryan Hedges was in that group. He's he playing for Wales now, national side, and he's up at Aberdeen. And these were players you would not have said, uh, you know, Ross was come, was coming to it there, but these were not players that you would think were going to achieve those sort of heights if you'd have looked at them the week before. Suddenly, it was a blip. I think there's a a great sense of
0: situational awareness there, understanding what the players need, whether it be a bit of cheek or time, or whether it be something else. I think understanding the situation, understanding the players. And adapting to them and not doing it because because someone else is telling you to but doing it because you believe that it's actually correct and it's right and it's what they require and it's a good story tosh <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> but, but, but i think keith you know and i don't think the coach education now to the to the level that you know i was i was involved in you know i, I just give chats on uh, experiences, but isn't that part of coach edu- edu- educating? Uh, taking the realizing that a coach in, in the real terms, if we just use the real team, you think it's about 40, you, you know, and technical development, tactical development. There's a player in there that he's got all the attributes in the world, or she's got all the attributes in the world. How to get it out of them? How do you get them to, for them to express themselves uh, on a consistent basis? Not week in, week out, because that's impossible, but on a consistent basis. And they're like, to me, bits that ex- life experience gives you. You know, you're a parent yourself, parents, grandparent now. But passing those on, they, they're the best teachers. They teach me. They teach me. I used to, I used to. On the little coach education courses, who's the best under eight in the world? Uh, who's, the, who's the best under eight in the world? I think they've got the, the question. Who's the best under eight coach in the world? And I'm getting uh, the fella that I Ajax, I believe they're good, they've got a good thing going their and all the rest of it. And I it said, the under eight player. They're playing it every day, every hour they can tell us more about that type of game and what's going on than we can. just watch and learn them and facilitate. To me, it was a facilitate then. Until you can get to that age where they can take a little bit of instruction and what about this and have you tried this and, oh, and so on and so on. But that's, you know, I've learned an awful lot from the, from the players and I know people will say it's cheesy and it's sort of the thing to say. You know, street games that we used to bring into Everton, street games that are bring into the programs that are running here, street games that are brought into America. They were based on what the kids were doing, and then I sort of evolved and stuck a few add-ons. I mean, they give me the base.
1: Tosh, the the actual ability to adjust to situations in the moment is is a huge huge thing for coaches who are brave enough and have the they have the, just have the self-belief in, in who they are, what they've got in front, and putting perspective into things. You know, we're not talking about World Cup finals. We're not talking about winning the Premier League or winning a pot to a pan. We're not. We are talking about engaging players and empowering them to feel free and to let loose, to, to just be the best them. And the abilities that you you display and, and you've got loads of experiences and lots of anecdotes that you share with stories that you share which are absolute mega gold destiny. the wonderful experiences that are real, but rather than looking at a liverpool it's a big derby for the lads, yeah but for you, it's just helping them to release, to feel calmer and just be them. Be the best number one, be the best number six or seven player, and I think that's a that's a great gift that you've shared with your players, but equally what you're sharing with us now. Look, your coaching journey, um you know, it's it's vast, varied, it's all over the place. But looking at your own coaching journey. You've worked in the States, you spent some time in the States, you, you you'll take some learnings from that you adapt and adjust very quickly to the situation where you're you're resourceful, you're you're a man of great integrity and very, very honest, which is very, you know, it just stands out. It hits us right between the eyes. As somebody like yourself, (laughs) when you first started off at Everton, you got the 14s and then you're going downhill. (laughs) Where else do you finish? That just, I just think that's great insight. And great perception on somebody else's part, where they recognise a great skill and an art in someone else, which is what which is what you do in your players. But having all of those experiences, what shed some light on how you've evolved and what changes have taken place in your beliefs around what you believe to be coaching?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I think we we, we base on on that I, to to start with philosophy uh, ix made it you know the, whatever they did are a big influence on the on the keep so their philosophy model if that's what you want to call it is is my start is my starting point so, so, so to speak and um, and how do they develop players in a, in a relatively confined catchment area Okay, now, if, if you look at, you went out to Vogue a little bit, but, they, but they've come back, and they're still, they're still doing it. So, when we look when I went over to the, to the States, when you say, how did they evolve? At Everton, I did feel that you can't fail. It, it wasn't about, it's not about uh, the coaching. You've got all the best players, and whenever you went to do a coach education course, the level ones and uh We're doing there and I did some level twos over in Chester he was saying well you've got all the best players you should win and it's easy for you to say but you don't come here with with three balls or no balls or anything like that so part of in me me you know not doubt I didn't I think I can coach I think I can relate with players which makes me appear a better coach than I am if that's some guy, if you can understand that garble, so I went to the states, and part of it was for me in terms of the uh, I'm going to prove I can still develop players. I went into the states, Keith, and I'll just you know I won't go too long on this point on this point or later this point too long. But I was in the states. I had a program, and I invited any player. To come to the program, didn't do tryouts, didn't do, didn't do tryouts. What's the point of doing doing tryouts? Because they're straight, they're under pressure straight away, aren't they? You don't even know you're from Adam, and now you're trying out, and then you've got to draw a line through them. What a way to make friends, you know? I thought that that isn't a good uh, situation to put myself in. So I just said, the first two hundred who want to sign up was well, that'll be it. I won't release a player from. Our program but if you tell me you want to leave you can leave and I'll just replace it and we'll always wait to a number of 200 it worked out about 202 at the at the time oh by the way it's going to be 50 50 50 percent girls 50 percent male it was the first time that those uh, when the kids come in it was the first time that he went we went by ages so the under tens would be under tens if you were too old, you're under the levels. No, he's his mate or she's his mate. They played the same team for town. Can't no age range. They're staying in the age range. So I put them on the agents, which didn't go down well initially, but we did that. And I had a big PowerPoint in the in the at the facility explaining what the expectations were. And the expectation for, was over three years. First year, don't expect us to win a game on a consistent basis. End of the second year, I said, we should start to see the free shoots of what we're doing. By year three, if we're not performing consistently uh, and you're not happy with the progress, take your kids out. Okay. First year. Now, how hard is this to do? How can you have 16 teams who play every week for 16 weeks, two, set, two, two sets of eight weeks, to, the seasons are in the US. So that's 16 games times 16 weeks times 16 teams. I'm not a mathematician, right? But that's an awful lot of games. We never won a game. <laughs> how hard is that to do not you think you'd get a draw wouldn't you you think you'd get a tie we never won a game we never got close to winning it for the first year and when the parents were talking I go I'm going to plan this is the plan <laughs> told you this could happen <laughs> i didn't expect it to happen i'll tell you but those kids that come into the program keep not selected uh they were kids who We were there from a social side because you want to play, I'm going to play. They weren't in love with the game. You might have had one or two little people there who could do it, Um, but they weren't teams. And we were going out against, you know, I'm not sure what it was like when you first went out there, David, but we were going against American teams who were, if you're athletic, you were a footy player, you were playing with athleticism, goalkeeper back to front, let's get up there. We were getting murdered. Week two, year two, we're playing. We got our draw, a tie. One of the teams, make the news, we got a tie halfway through the second year. One of the teams got a tie. Oh, hey, we're on the move. There's no stopping us. <laughs> by year three, by year three, we technically, whether I could run, whether my size was suitable for football or anything. I had all the best technicians in the area. All without doubt. In terms of results, if we if we judge a program by results, it's the best in the in, 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 in mass because we we won every week. But they were the best technicians. And the other, the, the the game hadn't evolved in a, in the US then to counter it. So they would chase it all around, but we couldn't get it off us, we'd move it quicker. People knew the strengths and weaknesses and so, so that was terrific and we had a number of, you know, we, we were the champions of the leagues that, that, they, were, that they were in, uh, you know, whether the top, top league, no, they wouldn't let me in the top league. I had to amalgamate the club to their club to go into the top club, so it was a bit like a cartel. So. We were the best side outside of this uh, cartel. Entered them into tournaments. We did well. At, we did well at tournaments. It they were great days, but technically the players were developed. We lost five players in three years. Three, two decided the program wasn't for them. He just didn't feel he were improving. Two moved location. One decided to move to another club that was gonna catapult them onto to a much higher level. Five players, five, never ever had tryouts just come in. And we, we left it, the, the town I was in, you know, they, they call them cities, but it was, it was really a town. The, the town asked me to put a, a program together for footy, high school, middle school, kindergarten. So all the town could follow this program, I had the the two towns, Ainsley and Newburyport, which had a total of two thousand kids combined, coming in on a Saturday morning. You ever tried coaching two thousand kids on a Saturday morning? We we did it. And every one of them, you knew everybody's name. So we we you we got we got something really good going going there. But the parents were the toughest part of for me, the uh, toughest part of of American football as American soccer, was we actually got them believing in what we were doing and trusting us. And it was that gaining that, that trust, so that journey, what did it teach me? In all the years I've been in academy football, I was wrong to ask the player to commit to footy for 100% of the time. American, Amer- the, the learning curve of the American soccer player was like a rocket compared to the learning curve here in the in the uk and uh, you know i'll i'll how can i describe that well the base level of the english play you know that the, 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 the player that we we see every day in the street because we're playing it all the time our base level is a higher base level because of the the level at the playing with each day, each week, as they get older, it's going on a sort of a slope, if that makes sense. So there's my baseline there and gradually getting better, gradually getting better, gradually, which is which is fine. The American learning curve, right? Slightly lower base level, but their learning curve was like a rocket went through because of the the joining up of the other sports that they were were playing. I mean the invasion games, basketball, ice hockey and all that, all those games were, were helping you know, the situation. They were the body movement, the suppleness of the basketball play, the suppleness of the lacrosse and the way you could twist the shoulders and add disguise to what they it made teaching technique so much so much easier for me. And that's why you went off like a rocket and that's why you know some of the the, the, the journey that they got onto and some of the levels that they've got they've gone on to over there is has been you know is is terrific i mean we people talk about high school getting the high school college grants and so they can go to scholarships the high schools were giving scholarships out to our place i mean that's a it. that's it's unheard of at the time it was unheard of but the the high schools were tying in Wanting those technical players to come to their high school, and I, I, I just, for me, I've, I've come home thinking I can, I can coach the program, the methods, the sharing of development, rather than me being prescriptive, if that's what you want to call it. See, if you take it three day, times a, a week, uh, three times a day, it'll cure you. But I'll only give it to you twice, twice a day. Because I want you to get better over, a slower, it is, You know, slow that that down. And I, I just felt it. It was um, it was embraced over there. To be honest with you, it was embraced. And the cave and the fight that I think the Americans have got is it's it's still such a, a young game. And players, you know, coaches like you, you yourself, Dave, out there, you're going to be swimming against the, the, the tide for an awful long time but stick at it and persevere and win one over. And the two is a bit, you know, it is, it is a terrible analogy, but a bit like the coronavirus, isn't it? You know, have your R level, you know, have your infection level high, you know, win, have them all infected with with technical development as opposed to a winning mentality de- development. Introduce how, it's, how important it is to win, but not and six, seven, eight, because you forget all about the techniques. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting on my eye horse here, forgive me. No, you don't have to,
1: there's no apologies. What you're sharing is is something that you're, you're quite right. You know, academies, they get this perceived, they get the best players, whatever that means. And there are some terrific players in the country, Tosh. And, but, but we're referring to coach and coaching. It's easier to coach. There's not as much work to be spe- to be spent on the deck Refining and trying to get the players so the you know the more technically more tidier, you know the comfortable as opposed to working in if you like a raw setting where you're just collecting anything that comes through the gate and then seeing improvement and seeing it at uh albeit well by the way well done on your draw in the second year that was terrific uh i understand <laughs> <laughs> i the state. But that <laughs> takes bravery. I think that takes, it takes it takes nuts to be able to do something like that and stick to it. So that tells a great deal about you. I'm going to change the the text slightly here. We hear a lot, and I don't know what your thoughts are around it, but we hear a lot about, we hear this new school, old school coaching. What's this and what's that? You come through a, you know, I guess, a school of hard knocks. You've had to work your socks off. I remember a conversation that you and I had. Well, in fact, you, you. I said, "What do you want to do?" And you said, "I want to get into coaching full time at a <laughs> club." You might not remember, and, I, and I'm sat there thinking. And my question in my head was, "How many games have you played professionally?" And I knew the answer because you were you were playing you playing Ami League. So I had that doubt. I had a doubt, but the one thing that you didn't have is you didn't have a doubt in your ability because you then and for all the listeners this is a great testament of someone has an immense belief in their own ability levels to just keep going on not accept no be who you are be courageous and just crack on and put things into perspective don't take it too serious we win we win we lose we lose we like winning but listen let's not Let's not deny that we need to compete and we need to win things, but it's winning Winning for some might be getting a player to go past a player. We're not talking about result, although it Mm. is important at the high levels. So what are your thoughts around new school, old school type coaching?
2: Coaching um, is, is about affecting players. So, and, and for, all, for all the right reasons, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, destroy them, but if you're there, um, affecting players and it's, it's working and the players moving forward, does it matter really what style? What, what, what style? Do I believe that coaching is diluted now um, in terms of breaking it down uh, to the detail of the player, I don't think that's in the in the new style of coaching. I, I just don't see that that detail that I've been brought up from people like yourself, people like Gibbo, people like Martin Hunter. That that detail, you know, to 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 help the player isn't for me. And I've been on a couple of refreshing courses, and 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 I've done you know a couple of courses since I've come back. It's just not there. I mean, asking, you know, ask, asking the player, what could you have done better? there uh, I could have passed it properly. Yeah. Thumb up. Well, you know, are you going to show me how to pass it properly? Like because, Or are you going to show him how to pass it properly? Because he can't pass it because his face foot is always with the outside of his foot. And he's having the outside of his left foot and now he's running round the ball to get it on his right because he doesn't know how to use his left to pass and receive. So where, are in the new modern coaching curriculum is the, is the technicians who are going to help us with that. Now, I don't know how long we're going to persevere with the with the new system key but I think if, if academies have been running up 20, 97, 20, coming up to 25 years, Tell me one academy that can say the miles ahead uh, and their team is predominantly academy players. Why Why have an international recruitment level a, a scout that keeps bringing in not one or two players a year, one or two players a week into academies? You know, the turnover on, on academy players. Why are we waiting? Why are players at academies? Up until 16 and getting given an ultimatum of three weeks to get yourself noticed whether we're going to give you the contract or not. You've had them for eight years, for Christ's sake. It's not the players who should be given three weeks, it should be the coaches who were given three weeks. Got three weeks to find another club because they're taking off the payroll. Because I enjoyed the time at Everton, I enjoyed wearing the badge, I enjoyed the little bit of um, just. Nice to be noticed in fact people knew you did, but I want to be known for the right reasons. They not want to be people swearing under or saying any foul mouth words under the breath. There's that fella there, there's him, that's his fault. I didn't want that. I wore the badge with pride because I felt I was doing a, a good job and helping, you know, the players come through. I think the blend, whether we're doing it or we're not doing it, the blend has to be more of somewhere in the, in the middle. It's got to come together. And as a coach, um, I may not wanna do that. Um, I might be wanna be a game coach, you, you know, so stay away then from the under 9s, 10s, 11s and 12s. Go with the under 14s. Don't get used to under 8s and come into the under 8s world knowing that as soon as you get the opportunity, you're going to dart up to some 11v11 or apply for the assistant manager of Real Madrid, just you know, and use that status to get you there. That gets up my nose. I people say to me, you Don't want to be the youth coach, you could have been the I said, I am a youth coach, I am a youth coach. You know, you're only doing you'll do eights and 14s and 12s. And uh, I used to shrug my shoulders, but what whale do you want? Yeah, but don't you? don't want to be with the first team. No, I don't get no enjoyment out of that, standing, watching them. I like helping them and I'm just, you know, it's what sort of coaching is to me. And I'm sure it's to you and and, and, and to David, keep coaching is about coming to me, coming off the end of the game. And are they better for me being on there or worse? And there's a few occasions they've been worse off by me getting involved. And on a few occasions, you know, but there's been a lot more occasions when they've benefited from me being there and the and the approach. So when a balance is off, I'm an effective coach who helps players get better. And if it's only playing for the fish market 11 on a Saturday, is that, you know, and they, at least they're in the first 11, rather than being in the squad of 13 and the day, there, if whenever they, they may get a chance, if you go on to the Premier League, you coaches are forgot. No one cares. I mean, you know, if Colin Hullaby had more effect on Wayne Rooney than any coach at Everton. Colin was, he developed Wayne like his son. Colin could see him coming, you know, but we all want a piece of it. We all want a piece of it. It's nice to mention his name. I did my little bit with Wayne, pass him on. I had more of an effect on the likes of the Jose Baxters, the Rodswells, the McManans. I had more of an effect on on them. But they had to be passed on to somebody else who could put their 2 pen in it as well. The problem with, with coaching Keith, is the you know, and this is me thinking out loud, is the synergy between or the flow, whatever you want to call it, as people flow from under eights to under nines, I think the under-9s coach is in a competition with the under 8 coach and they're caught up in the middle, you know, and the under-14s coach is in a competition with the under-16s coach, why? Because he probably wants his job. Now, if I've got that wrong, I'll apologise, but I've been around it, I hear them talk, you, you know, the, when I was leaving Everton, it was, um, well, Well, it wasn't leaving Everton, I was moving out of my role at Everton as the to the coordinator. I my day job was my, my night job was looking after the twelves, elevens, tens, nines, eights, sevens. Thank you for coming five o'clock onwards. My day job was homework with the under sixteens, the under eighteens. Every afternoon I'd be working with the with the older players, not as a team though. David, improving the technique. Now these Kate, they're in five days a week, but you know come and help them improve the technique and I used to take the little phases out of the game like watch how the midfielders would quickly combine you know off the front foot you know in the middle dead the um, how they do it, and how they getting that little space so I was putting little sessions on for JP and Lee Molyneux and players like that and we were bouncing it out and round the corner and oh, just from what they asked me to play crazy shooting for Christ's sake what does that tell you play crazy shooting with us Tosh we, we, you know, I'm not in competition with anybody. I didn't want the under-16s job. I didn't want the under-18s job. I certainly didn't, couldn't, wouldn't uh, want to be a manager. But if I was somebody, as long as I was somebody who was respected uh, for their contribution in the chain, I was happy. The players don't forget you. The players don't forget you. I mean, you know, and I'm not going to name names off but I have a number of other players have all sent me on a regular basis, I speak to them regular. I don't even, you know, I put it on the private boxes and stuff like that. I, you know, people, players know that when I speak to them, they get the same. I was down at Fleetwood last week before last, watching a couple of players at Everton play who had managed to coach with. And uh, the lad who invite, invited me down was the uh, head of recruitment at Fleetwood, a ladder coach. He's got me. I'm sitting talking to Joey to Joey Barton. Uh, half an hour before they're about to play Coventry, we're sitting there having a tea and, tea, and, tea and a coffee, talking about his days at Everton, his days at Man City, why he got released or whatever. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, I'm waiting outside the door, and the three players, uh, two of them were playing playing for Fleetwood. One was on loan from Everton. Conor Mack, I think he played with Conor McElhaney. David, Conor Mac Connor McAlaney in Jose's group, he was in your group when you were yep. there, Conor McAl's. Yep. So Conor McElhaney um and Liam Walsh who was playing for Coventry, all oh, hugging and kissing. Yeah, I haven't seen them for 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 a while. And you can't break that little bit. Well, he's helped. He helped me. You know, and I get pleasure out of seeing them playing at that level and enjoying themselves, getting paid for what they wanted to do. might not be at the height he wanted to do um, or achieve. And I just wonder how many more players will get to even, you want to say even that level, it's a great level, isn't it? How many are going to get to that level if we start neglecting technical development in the manner that I see if not administered?
0: Tosh, we've got... We've got about fifteen more questions to ask <laughs>
2: be, your dad said he was going to give me a, a signal to just do that
0: we could we would and could go on all day listening but I think you've wrapped it up in that last answer perfectly because there were a couple of other questions i I wanted to throw at you but the way you answered that one with the players at Fleetwood and you've gone to the game and the way that you were with them the way they were with you when they saw you again. I think that sums it up. I think that sums you up. I think throughout the interview you've, you've just, you've touched on the impact that you've had on, not players, I think the impact you've had on people. You've had an impact on people and for them to, 10 years later or 15 years later to remember you, to come over, to want to spend time with you speaks it just speaks volumes about the impact that you're at you've had and will continue to have on these people's lives and the interview's been it's been absolutely fantastic i've I've loved listening to you I really have enjoyed it and um, I want to thank you for coming on i'm sure my dad will will be the same when we first met in ninety four were
1: 2020, many years ago. And there are people in our lives that create memories. We always have people that create memories. Some are not very good and we want to forget them, but they're still in there. Then you get people like yourself, who's like a Pied Piper. And I mean this immensely, and I mean it sincerely. We, the amount of footballing memories that you've shared with us, and then you mentioned about Joey Barton going over to Fleawood and then Luke. there's many more. There'll be players that will be texting, texting you, you'll be texting them back. You've created football memories and the memories are favorable the the, the pleasant. You've enriched and empowered so many Have that engagement with you. Because I know, you know, we, we talk about raw coaching and the ability for for coaches to go through the technical bits. They, they can have that. And I think it's a great part. It's a massive part of the game where I think we're getting, it's devoid. I think we're devo- it's getting watered down. But the one thing that many coaches don't have is they don't have that personality so that you live in the moment. You're in the moment. You, you're just who you are, and you know who you are, you've known who you are, and you continue to, to bring a lot of people together. And for that, and that alone, the world, you know, the world of coaching owes you a great deal. And uh, I certainly have, have loved the opportunity to, if you like, interview you a little bit today, but I just like knowing that you're still in my life and have played a played a, a big part in my life as well. Even though we've worked together, we've been distant in terms of locality. Every time that we, we communicate and talk, it's like like we pick up where we where we left off. So I thank you, man. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been
2: much. brilliant, Keith. Thanks, David. And just, you know, whenever players don't make it, Whenever players don't make it, I always refer them back to you, Keith. I said, if that doesn't work, blame Keith Mayer. I didn't want to do that. You know? So, for all them players that never made it, it's been thanks. an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Keith Davis. I mean, I'm not so sure, you know, interviews the great words. I mean, missing is. Uh, is what we've been doing and you know without blowing smoke up your backside Keith I I wouldn't have them memories if I hadn't met somebody as engaging as yourself who made me want to get involved in coaching and so for that thank you
0: thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed please do so Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast, and also you can visit our website at www.golddustmentoring.com Thank you, everybody.